Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 1939, Egon Schele celebrated painting Portrait of Ollie, a beguiling portrait of an Austrian artist's red-haired mistress, Valberga Nuzel, was seized by Nazis from Leah Bondi, a Viennese gallery owner. Nearly 60 years later, the painting surfaced on the walls of the Museum of Modern Art, triggering a historic court case that pitted Manhattan district attorneys, the United States government, and the heirs of Leah Bondi against a major Austrian museum, and the Museum of Modern Art. We're joined today by the director of Portrait of Wally, Andrew Shea. Welcome to Film School, Andrew. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, tell me a little bit, just to get started, um, where this story, how you got involved with this story of this painting, um, what was the genesis of that, and what was it in this whole story mm -hmm. that, that uh, prompted you to become involved in doing a documentary film about it? Well, I got involved with it um, in, I guess, the spring of 2007. I I was in touch at the time with an old friend, David Darcy, mm -hmm. who, whom I've known since the late 90s. I think I met him at Sundance in 1999. And he, he became a part of this story when he reported on the Portrait of Wally case on the occasion of the grand reopening of the Museum of Modern Art in 2004, and as a result of his report, which was critical of the Museum of Modern Art, and in particular of, of the chairman of the board of the Museum of Modern Art at the time of the painting seizure in 1998, Ronald Lauder, David's contract was terminated at, at National Public Radio. And he brought this story to my attention, and it seemed like a very powerful, emotional story with very high stakes that really called into question the, the conduct of some major cultural organizations when faced with this dilemma regarding a Holocaust property crime. And I felt that it would potentially make a really strong film. So I dove in head first, and I didn't realize at the time it was going to be a five-year process, but, but that's, that's how it began. And um, what was it in terms of just, I mean, obviously looking at the story as just told from the point of view of the, the uh, NPR report is obviously a lot of moving parts to, to what was going on with this painting and its history. Um, how long was it after that you began to establish a relationship with some of the more important people in, the, in, the, uh, in this saga? Uh, Leah uh, Bondi and m many of these, uh, the people that you have speaking on camera, the the people involved with the uh, uh, um, Department of Homeland Security and others. Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you in, in terms of establishing those relationships? Mm -hmm. Well, it was it was a it was a progressive process over a couple of years. In the in the early in the first year or two, um, we we weren't able to interview any of the Bondi family members or representatives of the United States government or family members of the, the Leopold family or the representatives of the Leopold Foundation. We were able to do some initial background interviews with some of the folks that are in the film, like Robert Morgenthau, David Darcy, Lucille Roussin, mm -hmm. and others. But it wasn't until the case settled 
in the summer of 2010, two years ago, mm-hmm. that the doors really opened to us. And at that time, we were able to interview several Bondi family members, the United States assistant attorney who had who had brought the case to the eve of trial, um, and Mrs. Leopold, Rudolph Leopold's widow. Mm-hmm. And that's really what made the film possible, was that last sequence of interviews in the summer of 2010. Well, they're fascinating interviews um, that really tell a lot of different, the story from a lot of different points of view. And I think that's what the strength of this film is, is it is you you are experiencing, well, it's an amazingly intricate story to begin with, um, but you're seeing uh, through your film all, all the different points of view, um, and it does take a bit of uh, detective work to really ferret out, in my opinion, to, to ferret out uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the essence of this, uh, of this saga and really uh, how surprising it is for me to see what impact the uh, just money has on a case like this mm-hmm. uh, and the money and interest of it. Um, but let's go back from the, to the beginning and kind of give uh, our listeners kind of an overview of, of this painting, uh, the history, a little bit of history on uh, Egon uh, Shela. Okay. You're, well, I'm, I mean, I'm not an art historian. Right. So it's not, you know, I mean, that's, I didn't come into this project with, with a background in, in art history. Um, or in early 20th century Austrian expressionist art, but Schiele was, you know, one of the really important Austrian painters working at the turn of the century. And um, Gustav Klimt, who was his mentor, um, was also very famous, maybe more famous than Schiele in, in their day, but Schiele was a very well-known Austrian artist. He died young. He died at the age of 28 in 1918. Of the Spanish, of the flu, of influenza during the, the worldwide outbreak of influenza, mm-hmm. um, and he painted many, many paintings, and he, he made many drawings of of his mistress Valinoitun. The the painting at the subject of this story is one of many images mm-hmm. from Sheila's work of Valinoitun, um, but it, it became the centerpiece of this pivotal Holocaust restitution case when the painting was discovered on the walls of the Museum of Modern Art in, in late 1997. But Schiller, you know, is, is, a, is a famous Austrian artist. He may not be a household name, but within the art world and for art aficionados and those interested in early 20th century expressionist art, I mean, he, he's a He's a very important figure. Yeah, and what? And I'm nor am I an, an expert on art, uh, but it is what I found fascinating about the the artwork that uh, you show in the film is how he could be a painter today. His work would be just as vital as anyone that you would see uh, anywhere. It, it's it's very striking work. It's very, and I can imagine for many polarizing uh, artwork but uh, I was struck by how modern it it looked in, in in its in its way and just fascinating stuff very uh, just beautiful um, work so it's easy I, do, I agree I think his stuff is it feels very contemporary it feels very relevant yeah. you know I mean he, he was very provocative in his day he was accused of being a pornographer and much of his work is very sexualized but not all of it he did a lot of very lovely landscapes and other 
other works as well. But but you know he 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 really got to the essence of the person that he was painting or drawing, and I think that's what makes him feel so contemporary and important still as an artist today, not just the hypersexual nature of a lot of his work. Right. And in this portrait of Ollie, uh, it looks like uh, uh, he captured the essence of her. Um, it's a very striking, very compelling. Uh, his work, for just as, again, someone who knows little about art, but it was all in the eyes for me. I, whenever, whenever I saw any of the mm-hmm. work that, that you showed in the film, uh, I was immediately drawn uh, to, from almost all of it, immediately drawn to the eyes. It seemed to really bring out that that essence of what you're describing uh, of the person mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. very interesting work and um it, it, you encapsulated the film very well i i do not want to i want to leave this to the listener uh, to experience okay. this film and i think I agree with that. and i yes, think just I telling us this is where it started and by the way we get into the uh, we bring all uh, is the uh, the full weight of the uh, the district attorney of uh, of the state of new york into it and uh, and knowing that, as well as the international nature of this uh, story, which is uh, uh, the essence of it, it is about reclaiming the uh, the restitution uh, of art to the people who had it stolen from them by uh, by the Nazis, uh, and how that that in and of itself is just a, a remarkable aspect of this story. Tell us a, just a, in broad outline, uh, just a little bit about for those who you know, may have sort of forgotten or don't know really much about um, about this subject, uh, this part of the sort of the movement to restore to its rightful owner art throughout the world uh, that was stolen by the Nazis. Well, okay. Again, it's, you know... Yeah, I'm sorry. I've, I've made a film about one, <laughs> one, looted, one Nazi looted painting, and I don't claim to be an expert in restitution as a broad subject. And there are plenty of attorneys and art detectives, and we interview a number of them yeah. in our film, who are really the experts in this area. But, but what, I can, <laughs> what I can say about it is that this case um, really put the spotlight Very. on looted art and yeah. really began to shift the discussion. And, you know, in a very specific way, um, when, when this painting was seized by the New York District Attorney in early 1998, that sent shockwaves to the international art community, and as a, as a direct result, the Austrian parliament passed a new restitution law, the, the first one on their books since the 1950s, that allowed many, many works of art, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of art, to finally be restituted to the heirs of the rightful owners. And so th- this case, Portrait of Wally, even though it dragged on for 13 years, it had an enormous impact starting in the late 90s, and not just in Europe, in the United States. The, the, the fact that the United States government got involved really was a wake-up call, I think, for many art museums and for auction houses around the United States who realized that, that the time had come for them to take provenance research extremely seriously. And I think in a very beneficial way, the case has really forced museums, art collectors, art dealers, and, and auction houses to, to make, make a much more serious, strenuous effort to discover the true provenances of the work that they're dealing in. And I think it's been, a, you know, it, it's, this case is widely viewed as the pivotal art restitution case of the last 20 years. And 
that's thank you. I, I was trying to put you on the spot to uh, to explain all the art restitution uh, nuances, but you're absolutely right. The film sh- uh, really does uh, show how this this particular case uh, reflected so many of the different aspects of of the the mm-hmm. challenges that not only uh, the, the the family members, the families who have who have had this artwork stolen from them, but also and in, in fairness to the museums, they had operated under a certain set of assumptions uh, that were challenged by this case. And to the to the credit of our court system, um, at least on a very narrowly sort of uh, argued uh, grounds, we're, we, we were able to give some justice to the, the family, the uh, Biondi family, on this particular case. And as you said, became it's become kind of the benchmark by which uh, now some museums, I, I think, are becoming better and better about this. And I, you can comment on that yes, if you want. I think, I think that that is the case. I do think. But, you know, that's not to say that we don't have, you know, cases popping up all the time. Yeah. You know, similar cases. Museums are confronted, and art dealers and art collectors are confronted with these issues all the time. It, it's not as though this case somehow settled the issue and now magically stolen works are just restored to the the claimants without a battle and you know but but i do think that that the the picture is a lot clearer since the volley case and 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 before this as i was referring to is that that museums in some way were looked they didn't want to know. They didn't almost in some way didn't want a settled set of rules on this because it's been since antiquity have we been uh, borrowing works uh, from across the world and, and they end up in museums. And this has been an area that's allowed museums to operate in a way that they didn't have to take responsibility. And now this case seems to have shifted that in the direction of you need to do at least due diligence and do everything you can to settle who actually owns this art before you start uh, uh, putting it on a display and acting as mm-hmm. if it doesn't belong to anyone else. So that, that's an important part. And this is really, again, this is a film that is very, It's the, the structure of this film is excellent. Uh, we really start at the very beginning uh, and weave together this narrative in which we really get a full understanding uh, going back to uh, Sheila's work and then the, the, the selling of this to Leah and then the Nazis coming in and doing uh, the, and essentially confiscating this art, really, is the only mm-hmm. way to put it. And then we see all of the different players as they get into position to to take advantage of this situation. And, and the footage, for me, some of the most interesting footage in the film is the archive stuff of the United States Army handling these uh, unbelievably uh, pri- priceless pieces of artwork in a way that I just it's hard to imagine being taken care of today. But this archival footage of them pulling it out of warehouses um, was just fascinating to me. I just yeah, it's, it's amazing. But I mean that that is um, you know some we didn't we don't we don't spend a lot of time in the film dealing with the, sort of the broad subject of the recovery of art after the war, in a way that was the topic, or one of the main topics of another film, The Rape of Europa. And, you know, the, the, the monuments men, so-called monuments men, were these group of art experts who went into Europe and, you know, really tried to assist in, in 
bringing back to the rightful owners all these stolen works. And that's the footage you're referring to. M- most of it is from our National Archives that's in just, the U.S. But it is shocking footage. It really is. Yeah, I, 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 and again, we have, and you have representatives from really every point of view, from the family and from, uh, mm-hmm. and also can't really talk about this film without at least mentioning the absolute key player, and to me, the key player in this is uh, Rudolf Leopold and his role in the sort of this mm-hmm. plunging this 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 uh, painting into a netherworld of obscure not obscurity but obfuscation really, uh, and and how easy that is to do or was a, a, able to do and um, uh, his he is an addict he's addicted to Shayla wasn't he 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 really showed I all I think the- it's fair to say that he was an obsessive collector who was addicted to Sheila and you know that's that's not insulting I think yeah. you know. I think his his biggest supporters would would agree with that. And I think that's what made him such an important collector. And in many ways, you know, he 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 did a wonderful service by drawing, you know, the world's attention to what a brilliant artist Sheila was. He didn't discover Sheila. Sheila was already a well-known Austrian artist when Leopold began collecting in the 1950s. But Leopold, in some ways, put him on the map. Yeah. And um, and you know, so. So there are a lot of positives about that sort of obsessive, addictive collecting, and then there's some some downsides to it. And I think this case illustrates that. It's funny. I mean, it's not exactly a, a, a an accurate analogy, but he himself was as many of the women, the mistresses, if you will, of. Uh, uh, of Sheila was, was was seduced by him, and and it, he he could not seem. And as you said, his obsession really was the the upside of it was the world knew him knew him as the artist that he deserved to be recognized as. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, now d- tell me a little bit. Uh, just as we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I just want to get into a little bit about uh, the uh, the reaction in the art community. Um, and other people involved, the family members, etc. What's the reaction been to your documentary, Portrait of Wally? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, I'm the director, so not everybody might, you know, people <laughs> don't necessarily tell me exactly the truth about their feelings, especially if, if there's something in it that upsets them. But I would, you know, the response has been very positive. We've gotten excellent reviews, and yeah. um I think, you know, the folks in the art world and the people connected with this case feel, you know, from what they told me at least, that the case is that the, that the film is a, is a truthful telling of the story of the painting. It's not the complete story of the painting. I mean, we could make 10 films and write several volumes about this case. So naturally, you know, it, it's a condensed, edited version of the story of the painting, and it leaves out many moments and people who were pivotal in the course of the hundred-year you know, hundred history of this painting. Yeah. But I think that you know the response so far has been good. We have not screened the film in Europe, so I, I actually don't know the response of the um, the Austrians and the Leopold Foundation in particular. We we do hope to screen the film in Vienna sometime this fall, but we don't have any specific plans for that yet. Well, Andrew Shea, this is uh, just a, such a complex story, and I truly 
uh, was enthralled from start to finish. It, as I said earlier, you really lay it out beautifully, uh, and I came away not I went into it not really knowing anything about this case, and came away feeling like I uh, I I knew I knew what I needed to know in the way that it. It unfolded the truth of the of the uh, of the saga, of this painting and of and of this family and the, all of the different elements in here. It's just a really wonderful documentary, and um, it congratulations on it. I, I'm uh, I'm hoping. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words. I hope people come out and see it while it's here in Los Angeles, and you know, and tell your friends to come see it. Yeah, we will, and. Uh, um, all the best. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your uh, your schedule. I know you're out here in Los Angeles for a couple of days. Uh, I assume promoting, and uh, and uh, I'm really uh, honored to have you here on Film School. So thank you for being here, Andrew Shea. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks very much. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.